Dr. Dana Goodyear has 22 years of experience in education. She has taught world languages and English and worked as a middle school administrator. She completed her doctorate degree in educational leadership in early 2020. For her dissertation, she researched reasons parents were opting their students out of high-stakes testing at middle schools and how that affected the district accreditation rating. She often speaks at conferences, providing educators with techniques to minimize off-task behavior and to increase time on task. She is the host of the Out of the Trenches podcast, which features educators who share their stories of resiliency. Follow her on Twitter at Dana Goodyear and visit her website at www.danagoodyear.com. This conversation was recorded in September 28, 2021, so it's being released in April, but recorded several months beforehand. We'll share several updates on things we talk about, such as the release of Dana's book in the links and the blog post. I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. Dr. Dana Goodyear, welcome to the Time for Teachership podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. I, I just read your professional bio, but is there anything else you want to add uh, to further introduce yourself to our listeners today? Um, well, uh, we connected um, because uh, we've both been working with Danny Bowers of Better, Danny Bauer, Better Leaders, Better Schools. And, um, you know, we have different perspectives, uh, kind of looking at some of the reading that he does um, with his uh, mastermind. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the reading. Um, and we'll also talk a little bit about um, my upcoming book um, that I think will highlight one of your questions. So um, I think we'll just go ahead and get started. And then if there's anything, I'll add it. Perfect. That sounds great. And I'm so excited to talk about your book. This is really exciting news. Um, as we kind of jump in to think about like, you know, this, this big thinking that we do around education, I really like centering Dr. Bettina Love's quote about freedom dreaming, where she says dreams grounded in the critique of injustice, you know, are really what we're talking about. And so I'm curious to know what that big dream is for you in terms of the field of education and, and where you see, you know, what's possible for it. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of the the macro picture, right? You want to dream big. You want um, all, like if, if I was to say all districts across the U.S., right? My big dream is to moving, moving to more equitable practices across all districts, right? We're looking more and more at this since um, summer of 2020, but I know it's a slow going process and it really depends on uh, what area of the country you're in. Um, and we're seeing I know not only where I live in Colorado, but there's different places throughout the U.S. where there is a lot of strife amongst stakeholders, right? Uh, depending on what is being taught in the classroom. And I know some of those stakeholders uh, might not be comfortable uh, with um, the teachers teaching about history that has been hidden for many generations. However, as a parent of a current middle schooler and uh, two children in elementary school, um, I know that they're like sponges, right? 
my my son was just talking to me the other day. My eighth grade son was talking to me the other day about he doesn't want to celebrate Thanksgiving this year because he knows the true meaning behind what happened. Um, and you know, so it's just interesting how how he's you know learned a lot of this stuff recently and just reactions uh these kids that pick up things and they're like sponges and how um as, as educators we just need to know um that um you know a lot of us are just learning uh, about some of this history right now but if we want to make the difference um we need to learn how we can make that difference today right uh, as educators make the difference today so the youth can make that difference tomorrow, right? We can have a better place for all of us tomorrow. So, you know, this equitable practices and um, cultural relevant pedagogy, um, you know, it, it may not happen all at once, right? And it may take five to 10 years, but I'm hoping and, you know, by that time in 2030 or so that we, you know, see a lot more of the history uh, being taught in schools that, you know, has been hit. Yeah, such great points. And I and I love that you mentioned too, just you know, like mm-hmm. that when we make that change today, now our mm-hmm. students can our young people can can, you know, grow and live in in that way that is full of change as they grow older and and become teachers and all of that. And so I think about a lot of people being frustrated with having to learn or like unlearn, right? Like Thanksgiving is a great yeah. example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unlearn what they have been taught in elementary school or whatever, and then have to relearn. But if we just decide now, like we're actually going to teach factual history, those kids won't have to deal with that as adults. That frustration will be gone because they'll actually just learn it right the first time. And so I think that's such a good point that that you're raising. Um, I know that for a lot of people, that's a really difficult transition to make, Mm -hmm. you know, like having that frustration and having that um, recognition that maybe what they learned in their own schooling experience, or even how they learn in their own schooling mm-hmm. experience, you know, is, is not working for the kids that they're teaching, um, and, and should be changed. But I think a lot of that requires a real mindset shift around like, okay, well, I thought education was this way and I was mm-hmm. always doing it this way and I'm used to doing it. So now I, I'm, I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to make the shift. Um, what do you think that that requires, you know, what is that shift that's required for people to really achieve that dream of like, you're saying culturally responsive pedagogy and, Mm -hmm. and equitable education? A great question. Um, you know, and as, as you pointed out, yeah, it does, um, take, um, intentionality, right. Um, I think it, it takes being open, um, as a teacher, as a leader, as a practitioner, um, whether or not your district and your school building is adopting more culturally relevant practices, um, you need to be open to learning more about it. You need to take a stance for what you're teaching in your classroom or how you're leading your school. So, um, you know, if your district has taken an initiative uh, to adopt certain um, curriculum um, and to implement certain things, uh, make sure you're informing yourself in, in attending trainings, right? Um, also be open to what you can explore more as an educator, um, how you can be anti-racist. Um, uh, just be open to reading, listening to podcasts, attending webinars. There's so much out there <laughs> today, right? And it's a, an explosion since uh, summer of 2020, but I know there was a lot out there before. Um, I remember when I went to job interviews like in 2018 and stuff, and I would often be asked, you know, uh, we have a very diverse population and you know, how do you teach students um, with multiple uh, ethnicities and races? And I would always talk about culturally relevant pedagogy and how 
um, you know, I've learned a lot from uh, Principal Caffelli, for example, in a lot of his books, even before he published his most recent book. But you know, so there's always been a lot of information out there um, in books, but more so now than ever that you can just consume via the podcasts. And um, a lot of what I know we've talked about, I, you were on my podcast, and I just think um, it, it's just being, being that um, open to learning, uh, being that lifelong learner and having those difficult conversations with um, stakeholders if needed um, and with our colleagues. Yeah, that's a great point, right? That it's that it's being a lifelong learner is so inherent in all that we do. If we're going to do it well, like we have to keep growing and evolving. And so I really like that you name that. And I, I will ask a question at the very end that comes back to that because I think it's so fun to think about, you know, how are we living that out? So you mentioned so many great suggestions for action that people could take, just even things like listening to podcasts, right? Like these mm-hmm. little things that are just going to help us continue that learning journey and I'm wondering, are there are there other steps or, or specific practices that you would encourage people to do um, in terms of like you know what you what you have seen be really successful in your practice, or what you encourage the people that you work with to to do to really bring that out in themselves and also their like you said their colleagues and having those conversations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're a district leader, um, a school leader, or even somebody who's like a um, uh, teacher, coach, you know, leading professional development at your building, or even a department chair, um, you can help lead and develop professional development at your school. Um, even just a teacher, even if you're newer to the building, you can reach out to your administration and talk about like, you know, do we have um, an agenda for uh, teaching um, any of these practices uh, this year? And how would you feel about having that maybe you know, as it could be a recorded PD, it could be, you know, accessible when uh, teachers have time to access that. Um, and it could be just a discussion that you have in teams as well. Um, I also think uh, something that's a brave action could be uh, putting out posts on social media. This is for any educator, right? Um, and in order to get feedback, these could be, you know, polls. Um, these could be, you know, just provocative questions, uh, right? This could be, um, you know, images um, and, and just kind of starting that conversation with that post, right? Um, I also think definitely blog and blog posts are important. So I blog for the Teach Better team. I know there are a few bloggers on there who are doing blogs and that's becoming more popular, I know. Um, as yourself, you do blogs, and some people who I subscribe to their blogs, they they have been starting to do blogs as well. So, um, if whether or not you have a newsletter that goes out, or uh, you just blog, such as I do for um, an organization, um, you know, finding um, a subject that you can blog or vlog about that is thought provoking, and that you can share out on social media and, and get feedback just as you would with that thought-provoking post. Um, and I think as uh, leaders, um, leaders can be vulnerable to learn more. Um, you know, you are setting the example for your building or for your district. So um, the ed leaders need to keep themselves informed through reading. Uh, they need to be attending webinars. There's always, I mean, I get a ton of emails. <laughs> so there's always webinars going on pretty much every day, right? So from some educational organization. So uh, if you um, 
are working a full-time job, but you could set aside two hours maybe in the week to attend a webinar. You can always catch the recording, right? Um, and then you can all also advocate for district PD to support culturally relevant pedagogy. Um, and this could be, as I said, it could be a PD that's um, accessible um, asynchronously, right? It could be something that maybe um, you're having your whole building attend um, for maybe half a day, right? During a teacher work day. Um, but you, know, you also wanna gauge how much uh, does your staff know and how much is your staff already using, right? It's not gonna be a one size fits all necessarily PD, right? And, and you also wanna enlist the help of some of your staff members who are using this in the classroom and have been using this for years. So uh, have them give examples um, and have them also be the, the Q&A if they're comfortable um, because those teachers who wanna know more, they're gonna wanna know how do you implement this in your classroom. Wow, that's so many great examples right there from, you know, from even just asking the question or advocating like what PD do we have available? What, when can we use it? And yeah. also to like, you know, like you said, leading the PD or even leading what I think we would both probably call PD in, in the blog space, right? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. professional development in a sense that just extends beyond. And so, yeah, I, I think organizations like uh, Teach Better, great. I mean, even things like Learning uh, learning for Justice, formerly Teaching Tolerance, they let you, mm -hmm. I think they even pay you for, for articles that you write if you're accepted. Um, there's so many organizations that will take blog posts from educators and, and leaders who are just really excited about this work. And so if you're doing it and you have something to share, you know, absolutely, I would echo that. And I, I think one of the things that I've learned that makes it a little bit more um, manageable to kind of wrap mm -hmm. my head around blogging, because I, I used to think I have to talk about something different every single time. <laughs> and then I was like, I have a, a particular niche or set of niches, and that's mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. helpful. And so one of the things that you actually do is help teachers to find kind of their PD niche. And I think that sounds really exciting and was a huge like kind of pivot point for me to really harness my energy and focus it around like these key areas. Mm -hmm, Can you mm -hmm. say a little bit more about what you do in this way? So yes, this is a uh, breakout session I've led at a few conferences and I also have offerings on my website uh, for uh, PD to give you know, in-person or uh, virtual PD to districts and schools. And um, it's basically um, meeting with teams and uh, departments and narrowing down how you would want to uh, plan out your PD plan for the year. Now, you know, if I were to give a training in February, you know, you still want to look at kind of what you've already done, right? And there's so many places that you can go, as I've already mentioned, webinars, you know, podcasts, those type of things. But um, as a team, uh, you want to find out, like, what, where is an area of focus we want to work on? And that, you know, could be the trauma-informed practices, culturally relevant pedagogy. It could be more focused on literacy and, you know, curricular materials. So, um, uh, it, you know, when you're thinking of adult learning, um, when I developed uh, the PD, uh, this PD, but also when I was working on um, the capstone for my doctorate, it was a... Um, it was a professional development module for a school district. I had never written a, a big PD for adults before, right? And when I got some uh, feedback from uh, the director of professional development at the district, she was just saying, well, think about how kids work, right? So um, when I do this uh, session, I talk about, you know, you're, when, you, when you start a school year with kids, you think about, um, you want to help them identify what kind of learner they are, right? So uh, as adults, you know, we could be visual, auditory, or kinesthetic learners, right? 
And um, an example I'll tell you of like a conference, definitely that has a lot of kinesthetic learning that I've spoken at is the SHAPE conference. It's uh, the PE teacher conference, right? So you're going to have obviously a lot of things with jump ropes and those type of things. But um, are you the type of learner, whether or not you teach PE, that likes a type of session, and this will mostly be for those in-person sessions, but it could be for virtual, likes the type of session where you're getting up and about and you're, you know, you have hands-on things, right? You're, you're, you're moving around. It's not just to sit and get. Or are you the type of uh, learner who just likes to listen? So I would say probably myself because I consume a lot of podcasts and, you know, I'll go on a run and I'll listen to these podcasts a lot of the time. I'll probably say I'm an auditory learner, right? But I do like to listen and then take notes a lot of the time as well. Um, you know, some people are those visual learners and they'll read, read, read. You know, those are the people who consume a lot of the um, the posts, the visual posts and read a lot of these blogs. So, you know, I will, I always start out that uh the session by talking about what type of learner are you, right? And then just narrowing down those choices. And I highlight uh, things like getting started with a book club. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of schools did start during the shutdown um, in the spring of 2020. Um, but some schools probably haven't even thought about that still yet, right? Um, and I was part that spring also in the district of a book club uh, with, uh, it was the it was a book by Diana Graber um, about um, teaching. Well, I don't remember exactly the name of the book, but it's about um, technology and, and tech tools and teaching students, right, uh, with the tech tools and, and you know, cyber uh, safety, right? So, um, you know, when you have those type of book clubs and it can be asynchronous or it can be live, right? Um, and uh, leading the book clubs for your school and, um, you know, having people learn through just reading of, you know, chapters. And I know both of us have been in the mastermind. We, we read books and we discuss those. And we might not always get to the chapters during the session that we're meeting with the group, um, but just have, you're being held accountable, right? You're being uh, told to read those chapters. You're learning a lot from the book that you're reading. So I think that's a big part of it in finding your PD niche and, um, you know, there's a lot more I can say, but uh, I encourage people to uh, check out the training on my website if you'd like to have me uh, speak to your school or district or, you know, I'll uh, be speaking hopefully at conferences uh, coming up as well, um, sending out several proposals for there are some in-person conferences uh, in the spring, so. That's amazing. And I love that you're talking about content and also process, right? Like yeah, how do you yeah. learn as well as what is your kind of area of focus? And I, I love that it's it's focused and it's also, I think, for leaders hearing this, recognizing that their, their teachers learn in a variety of ways. Yeah. And so even if as a school, we have the same similar content focus, you know, or as a team, that that's going to need different mechanisms of delivery, just like you said, like with students, yeah, <laughs> how yeah. they learn. And so I think that's a great, just even reminder, if that's already something people are like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, as a leader to be like, do I have the option for someone to consume during their commute, a podcast or something, mm -hmm. you know, where we can multitask when our plates are already so overloaded, I think as, as educators many times, like how do I, you know, tap into the, what my, what my teachers really need in that way. So super valuable. I encourage everyone to go check out data's website and I'll link to that in, in the show notes too, in the blog post for the episode. Um, the other thing I'm, I'm really interested in, in your work on is working with stakeholders to identify attendance challenges mm -hmm. in students' history, um, also, you know, pre-COVID even, yeah. right? Um, and, and that cycle of truancy, like how do we really 
how do we stop that? How do we really address what's going on there at, at the root? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like you said, it's getting to the bottom of the problem, like looking at the root cause, right? Um, so I'll give an example. Um, so when I've worked um, as an attendance dean, for example, um, I looked at um, a seventh grader. And um, you want to look at data, you know, going back several years, you're not just looking at the seventh grade year. You want to look at, you know, how are they attending even back to fifth grade, even in elementary school, right? Um, and depending on what type of data system your district use, uses, a lot of districts use Infinite Campus, but you might be using something that has uh, visual, um, you know, you could use graphs, things like that, but drilling it down to looking at the days of the week that the student um, didn't attend, which is often those bookend of the weekends, right? The Monday and the Friday, right? Um, it could be if you're looking at a secondary school student, looking at certain teachers that the student isn't attending the class of, right? Um, or looking at certain times of day, the student might be rolling in at 10.30 in the morning. So you definitely wanna look at some of those pieces in order to uh, be able to turn around this cycle of truancy, right? Uh, because uh, whether or not you're in an administrative position working with attendance or you're a teacher and uh, you're just trying to get your student to come to class, because that was something when I taught French, for example, and uh, you know, you're teaching new things all the time and you're teaching a foreign language and you know, it'd become frustrating if I didn't see a student for a couple of weeks. So I was very much on top of making sure I contacted the parents and finding out, you know, um, if, if there's something was going on at home and, you know, making sure that the student was able to pick up a missing worker coming for help. Um, but, you know, you, you really just got to form those relationships. I think it's, it's also like knowing like if, if the high schooler is coming in uh, to third period and they, you know, miss first and second, and it could be because of dropping off a younger sibling. Um, it could be, um, you know, a middle schooler who is just not waking up because there's nobody at home when school starts. Um, it could be, um, you know, there's peers in a certain teacher's class and they just don't want to be around those peers. Um, so it's not just, you know, it's not, it's not using the punitive approach. I know so long districts, you know, they'll look at the parties and they'll, you know, say, you have all these absences and it's just going to stack against you. And, you know, some, some districts have gone to the um, extremes of saying, you know, if you have X number of absences, you're going to get a letter grade, a lower letter grade or something like that. So I think it's stopping um, the truancy in its tracks before it's too late, right? So if you're working with student attendance at the beginning of the year, you want to look at, um, you know, the historical data, right? look at how they were last year. Look at any interventions have taken place, right? There's the RTI process, MTSS process. However, you know, educators have stretched them, like you're saying. Um, so have there been people that have reached out? So, and then like looking throughout the year, right? If you're in November, December, right? How has the student's attendance been? Um, if, if you're getting towards winter break and the student is uh, approaching the 10 to 15 days of, absences, unexcused absences, you know, they are, um, they are approaching that chronically truant uh, label, right? And they might be up for a student review board at their district, which could lead to truancy court, right? So then it gets more serious. So um, it's uh, keeping track of those students. It's making sure that them and their parents are well informed of the need to attend. And I know it's, 
you know, I'm talking mostly about uh, pre-COVID, but, you know, we have a lot of students right now who are coming back into the building um, in the fall of 2021. And, you know, they might not have attended if their school was virtual most of the year last year, they uh, might not have attended much, right? So it's kind of getting back, used to being back in the building. It's, um, if there's a high schooler, for example, who took a full-time job, and it's still in that job, it's it's finding other options. I mean, those districts do have some type of an online option or alternative school. So it's finding other ways to um, achieve those credits uh, for those high schoolers. So, but I think it's, you know, it's that team, it's that team approach, it's that process, it's the communication uh, with the stakeholders and it's uh, everybody who works with the student also just being on board to help the students succeed and to uh, pass along the information needed to the parents. And, you know, uh, if the parents are really busy, they're working two or three jobs, it's also just making sure the student is aware. And, you know, that there's some type of a family member who also maybe grandparent or somebody who really knows the importance of that student getting to school on time. Wow. So many wonderful ideas there. And I, they, they, you know, resonate intellectually, but also I found myself at times resonating personally because I always was a person who struggled to get there first thing in the morning. So I had Mm -hmm. my brother and my sister and I was the oldest. I was the one who always drove and I would always have to like corral everyone in. We would always be late. And the policy was if you're late three times, you get detention. And what that actually manifested as was I was late to softball practice or basketball practice, or I couldn't go to math tutoring, which I did after school. Like I I needed that tutoring to, to pass the class. And so it's interesting how these punitive things that we actually put into place might actually hurt people's experience in the school of belonging or in extracurriculars or with academic, you know, uh, progress. And so mm-hmm. I think so much of that resonated with me and, and just looking at all of the data, thinking to look the year before, or, you mm-hmm. know, a, a few grades before is brilliant. And I, I don't know why, like, I've never thought about that, or I've never heard of anyone doing that. So I really appreciate you naming that. Um, I, I also want to make sure we save time to talk to you about your book because I'm really excited about this. So it's going to be published by The Road to Awesome Publishing. Um, can you tell us more ab- about the book? What, what's it about? Um, you know, how, how did you come to this idea or what's it been like to write the book? Whatever you think mm-hmm. would be interesting for people. <laughs> um, so, you know, I came to the idea, I would say, uh, you know, having hosted my podcast out of the trenches. Um, that I launched in May of 2020. And, you know, I got this idea basically a year later, kind of uh, May, you know, June of 2021. And, you know, I'd had a lot of uh, people on who were uh, launching their books. And, um, you know, I, a couple of those people were publishing through Road to Awesome. So, um, you know, and I, I read their books and, you know, kind of got the idea, you know, I've, I've, I've written a doctorate. Um, I did a capstone instead of a dissertation, but it was still, quite lengthy and went through that process of getting it approved and everything. But, um, you know, this is not academic work, right? The fact that we have to have, you know, certain academic language and, and, you know, all our bibliography, um, a certain way that the university requires, right? So it's not that hard, um, I would say, of writing um, as is when you're doing a doctorate. Um, So, you know, I've written a lot of blogs um, the past year. Uh, I've been writing with a Teach Better team. but also when you're writing a book, uh, you know, you have to kind of think about the big picture, right? So I would say um, a challenge is kind of uh, 
writing over a longer period of time right now. <laughs> I'm uh, aiming to uh, get a manuscript done probably in the next month or so. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I'm hoping, um, depending on the uh, kind of turnaround process with the edits and all that, that it would be out in the spring of 2022. Um, so it is about, uh, you know, uh, the out of the trenches, uh, where what it basically is your trench, right? Um, a lot of people I've interviewed for the podcast would say they are currently in the trenches and they like being in the trenches. So, you know, that a lot of people would say they define the trenches as the work with the students and, and getting their, you know, feet dirty. So, um, you know, what does that mean for you? You know, how is that, um, how does that manifest in your work and the difference you make in kids' lives? Um, you know, another part of that is also finding your why and why it's important to define your why. Uh, I think um, since uh, the pandemic uh, started, a lot of people are kind of reevaluating their why, right? Um, a lot of people are shifting to different types of positions or leaving education altogether. So uh, it's redefining your why, uh, finding out what's important. Um, it's also about... Um, really what is the trench um, and, and is it something that you want to get out of? So on my podcast, I always ask people, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. And, you know, as I said, some people say I'm currently still in the trenches, but a lot of people might go back to when they first started teaching, right, in a difficult situation um, or something that caught them off guard, right, and something they learned from and uh, became a better person. So, you know, these... Um, I would say kind of roller coaster situations um, as educators, kind of what have they taught us? So uh, that's also a part of it is, uh, you know, we all go through challenges, um, you know, failure does not define us. Um, so those are some of the big ideas <laughs> for the book. And um, there is a uh, video about the book. Uh, and you can put the link in the show notes. Um, it's on the road to awesome.net website. So uh, there's a bunch of authors listed there, but under my information, there is a short video where I talk about it and um, yeah, people can find out more. So I'm excited. I'm excited too. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and I encourage people to check that out. I will drop that link. Um, you have gone through so many amazing, really concrete, both examples and, and suggestions for people to take as they are listening to this episode. I'm sure people's minds are kind of like all over the place of like, oh, yeah. I could do this or this. And so I'm wondering what's a good starting point for people. So if they're really trying to live in alignment with, with those values of justice and equity and that dream that you shared at the start, you know, where might be a good place to, to start as, as kind of the one next thing that they could do? Yeah, I, I think it's just finding the resources that you need to inform yourself on equitable practices. And, you know, there's so much out there, but, uh, you know, you could, if you want to start from scratch, it's just Googling, right? Um, articles. Um, you know, what's been recently published, um, what are some good people to follow, right? Um, it's also attending PD, which it could be those webinars. Uh, it could be uh, listening to a podcast, um, and I'll suggest one in the next question. But um, it's uh, also having those conversations with colleagues. So if you um, are working with colleagues who are currently, uh, you know, and have been using culturally relevant pedagogy for a long time, it's... Um, it's asking questions. Uh, what can I do to, to be more open and learn more about this? Um, you know, there's a lot of people who have a lot of resources they can share. 
um, it's asking questions. You know, if you are teaching, if you are a white educator and you're teaching mostly students of color, um, it's asking, you know, how do I present this topic or am I going about it the right way or, you know, being aware of our biases, our unconscious biases, right? And um, not being afraid to ask because I think um, as educators, we know that, uh, you know, as I said, people are always learning and um, we all want to support each other. So um, I don't think people will look at others negatively if they have those questions and, and they want to learn more and they're being vulnerable in the fact that, you know, I might not be so informed about this particular topic and I want to learn more. And, and I think that opens the door to uh, just that, uh, just having a, a more um, constructive conversation with a colleague and, and developing a better relationship with somebody we might not have really known before we might have worked with for several years. That is great advice. Thank you. And, and I'm curious to know, I know I previewed this earlier, but I love asking this question at the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, what is something as a lifelong learner that you have been learning about lately? Well, um, so in the mastermind with Danny Bauer, uh, we've been reading about the history of the caste system in America. And the book is cast by Isabel Wilkerson. And it is, um, it is a history book um, pretty much, but it kind of ties things into more modern history as well. And it, um, in some parts of the book, it uh, parallels um, the uh, treatment of uh, African-Americans in America and it parallels that with uh, treatments of the Jews during Nazi Germany. And so I think that's interesting and also talks about kind of how this has affected modern society, right? Um, so very eye-opening. Um, some people would say it's a difficult read. Um, I, I really don't think it's a difficult read. Um, it is uh, just, it kind of goes into many, I'm not done with it yet, but it, it just goes into so many areas. And um, so I would definitely, uh, suggest that book and anything that's, um, you know, more just about, like, so as I mentioned earlier, like uh, Principal Capelli's, um, I, I forgot the name of his most, his most recent book, but, you know, the uh, culturally relevant pedagogy books that he's written, right? The hundred, hundred things that you want to know. So those are either easier reads, right, that you can read in a few days. Um, also, I want to suggest the Leading Equity podcast with Dr. Sheldon Akins. I had him on the podcast about a year ago, but he uh, has his own podcast that he's been uh, putting episodes out for several years. Uh, so he's, um, a lot of the uh, episodes, he, it, it seems to be, he's a interviewing um, people who are maybe at the university level or people who've written uh, books um, on equity and, and kind of their experiences uh, with, you know, kind of teaching and students that they've interacted with, but, um, you know, very um, thought-provoking conversations as well. I would strongly echo both of those. Cast was one of the best books that I think I've read in the last couple of years and Leading Equity is one of my favorite podcasts. So I, I definitely agree with those recommendations. Speaking of podcasts, you have your own podcast, so people should go check that out, right? Out of the trenches you, you named before. Um, and then where else can people find you online or, or connect with you or learn about what you're doing? So um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my Twitter handle is just my name at Dana Goodyear. Um, I also have the podcast at Out of Trenches PC and on Instagram, it's at, at Out of Trenches PC. You can find me on LinkedIn. And also my website is just my name. Uh, in a good ear.com.
That's amazing. Thank you, Dana, so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate this conversation. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Alliance or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.